0: Revelation, quite simply put, can be summed up in two words. This, the entirety of the book of Revelation. Anybody ever Has anybody ever wanted to know how to correctly read the book of Revelation? Anybody? Yes. Here's the book of Revelation in two words, and you can take this to the bank. Jesus wins. That's the book in two words. The book of Revelation is Jesus wins. Now, how does everything in here that there is some in here that is literal there is some in here that is symbolic what are the, the things that are symbolic what's it symbolic of I may not be able to tell you concretely but what I can tell you concretely is that at the book of Revelation there is no more Satan there is no more sin there is no more death there is only life and life in Christ and heaven on earth that's what it is at the end of the book of Revelation Jesus wins but we're going to be in chapter 22 today, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 15. And while you're flipping there, if some of you are still getting there, I, I figure I would share with you what some of you I'm sure already know about me. I love technology, except when I don't. Um, and y'all probably share the same feeling. Technology technology's great when it works, but when it doesn't, man, it, there's hardly anything more frustrating. But one of my favorite things uh, with tech now is... Uh, my, my iPhone has an app on it that yours does too, if you don't know about this. Uh, it may creep you out, so you might decide not to use it. But there's an app on your iPhone called Find My Friends. Have you ever seen this? It's beautiful. Um, if I'm ever wondering when Margaret's nanny is almost to Stapleton, so I know whether or not I should change that diaper or leave it for nanny, um, I'll just, hey, we in church, I'm not going to lie. Um, I can look at my phone... And it can tell me, because I've got my mom hooked up with find my friends, I can look at my phone and it will tell me where my mama is. So I can set a little, a little geofence around where I am that says, whenever my mama gets within this little fence, I want you to send an alert to my phone. So my mama will cross the, the city limits and my phone goes, beep, beep, Wanda Mosley's almost here. And I'm like, yes, she can change this one. No, um, but, but no, it's nice to know when she, and then when she drives home, I can set one around her house and say, when my mama enters this geofence, I know she's gotten home safe in case she forgets to let me know. It's great. It's also great, parents. I'm sure none of you would ever use this to make sure your children aren't somewhere. Yeah, now, all the kids in here are like, why did you say this? You can use it to know where your loved ones are. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that we could use for King Jesus that was like, Find my friends? We would know when he was almost here. We would know if he was still standing at the right hand of the Father. We'd know if he'd left yet. We would know. But we don't have that, do we? We have a promise. We have a promise that He's coming soon. That He's coming quickly. And we've had that promise for 2,000 years. And we know that time with God is not like time with us. That we're bound by it. He created it. That soon for Him might not necessarily be soon for us. That 2,000 years of Christians have died with Christ coming soon. And if the book of Revelation is not about putting together charts and trying to figure out when Jesus is going to come back, maybe what God is trying to do through this book is to teach us something about how we should live in the meantime, knowing that Christ is coming soon. So if you'll stand with me out of the respect of the reading of God's Word, we're going to read verses 12 through 15 in chapter 22. Y'all, I can't even, I'm bouncing up and down, but I I can't wait to preach out of Revelation. I love this book. Verse 12 And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie." Father, I pray that You would take this passage of Scripture, that You would work it deep down in our hearts to let it take root and bear fruit so that, Lord, we may live appropriately as we are waiting for Your return. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to start this out with something that is not necessarily the sole point of this passage, but I want to say it clearly. Y'all, Jesus is coming back. Okay? And, And I don't mean Jesus is going to spiritually come back and He's going to return in our hearts. And one day the world's just going to wake up and start loving one another. That's not what the return of Jesus means. The return of Jesus means the Lord Jesus Christ in physicality, in His physical body that was raised from the dead after three days of being buried, after crucifixion, is going to set His foot back on this earth, on the Mount of Olives, in Jerusalem, and the kingdom will arrive. That's what I mean when I say Jesus is coming back. Literally, physically, He is returning. So what do we do with that? Well, a few things. We should look forward to it. And we should look forward to what it means. And that's what we're going to do today. As we go through the Creed, there's actually a section that says I think that's the second time I've dropped it today, because we're preaching our way through the clauses of the Creed, that we believe that yes, that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Yes, he was crucified dead and buried. Yes, the third day he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But we also believe that from thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. To judge the living and the dead. That Jesus is coming back. That we look forward to that day. That every breath you breathe in your Christian life, every step you take, every tick of the clock that goes by is one moment closer to the return of Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We look forward to it. I want us to see that we should look forward to Jesus' return, we should look forward to Jesus' reward, and we should look forward to Jesus' justice. So first, let's look forward to Jesus' return. In the first half of verse 12, Jesus says, Behold, that word in Greek is the word edu. There's no reason to say that other than to say, I think the word edu sounds neat. Um, It just means behold. It means look. It means pay attention. Look at this. This is important. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Uh, Jesus actually repeats uh, at this point what he says in the same chapter in verse 7. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Now, basic Bible study is when something is repeated, it's what? It's important. You know this if you're a parent at all. You tell your children to do something, they better do it. You tell them to do something twice, Lord help you if you don't do it. <laughs> um, that was not fun. You know, you, know, you, you ever looked at them and said, don't make me tell you again. Yeah, well, Jesus told you twice. He said, behold, I am coming quickly. <clears throat> now this word quickly, um, if you've ever been in a hospital, um, y'all been in a hospital and seen people hooked up to little heart monitors that tell you how fast their heart's going? Have you ever heard the phrase tachycardia? Rapid heartbeat. It's a combination of two Greek words. Cardia, meaning heart. That's why you have the the cardiology wing at at university, the the heart tower. Um, Your heart doctor is the cardiologist. So that's the Greek word cardia that means heart. And the other half of tachycardia is the Greek word tachys. It means rapid. It means speed. It means quickly. So Jesus says, "Behold, I am coming, Takas, quickly, with speed, with rapidity." Now that that's all great, but there's one more interesting piece of information in verse twelve in Greek, and that's Jesus saying, "I am coming." Have you wondered why Jesus doesn't say, "I will come"? Have you ever noticed that tense? If you've ever gone to visit somebody's house and they call you and say, when are you getting here? You could say, I'm going to leave or I will leave in 15 minutes. That's future tense. I'm going to. But this is present tense. He says, I am coming presently. It seems like Scripture is trying to make the point to us. Don't live your life wondering when Jesus will come. Live your life like He's in the car and on His way right now. And the question is not when he's going to leave. The question is when he's going to get here. Think of Jesus' return as though he has already set his foot out of the door of heaven and he is on his way. And all we're doing is just waiting on him to arrive. That makes a big difference in the way we ought to live. I'm actually guilty of this myself, okay? Have you ever said something like this? Um, maybe you have something that that works well. Have you ever noticed that, that that new appliances don't seem to last as long or work as well as old appliances? Which is confusing because the price tag on the newer ones are higher, but the efficiency is lower than on older ones. Very very confusing. You get a hold of some of that older that older stuff, uh, and, and it just keeps ticking and ticking and ticking and ticking and ticking. And ticking. And, and you might find yourself wanting to say something like, that thing will keep working until Jesus comes back. You ever said something like that? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I have recently been convicted that I need to stop saying things like that. Because when I say something's going to keep ticking until Jesus comes back, I could be saying it'll be ticking for five minutes. When you say that, you're communicating it's going to be a long time. Y'all, it might not be. Jesus could split heaven open and set His foot back on this earth before this sermon is over. There's nothing keeping Him from doing so. That we should live knowing that Jesus could come back any minute. That we should live our life like He's on His way right now. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says, You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a what? As a thief in the night. Now, a thief, nobody knows when the thief is coming. That's the point of Paul saying that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. And then, and then this is Jesus. Jesus himself in Matthew 24, verses 36 and then verses 42 through 44, it says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. That's why I get a kick anytime I, when I see these, these study guides for Revelation or these books that are like 100 reasons Jesus will come in the year so and so. You know, there are great stories in quote-unquote church history of guys who have, Crunched numbers and made charts and did diagrams, and they're convinced that Jesus is coming in 1986. and then 1986 comes, and what kills me is I can 't remember the exact name of the bestseller, but there were two years in a row where somebody released a book that said like a hundred reasons, Jesus is going to come this year, and then Jesus didn't come that year, so next year they released the revised version and changed the year. and people bought it again. You're not going to know when Jesus is going to come, but Jesus says no one knows when it's going to come, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then He gives the instruction, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. And then verse 43, But know this, That if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So how do we apply this? Simple. Don't bank on you having any extra time for you to get your obeying Jesus in before he comes back. You don't know how much longer you have to work for him. Yeah, As I get older, I learn more and more and more things about the way things in the world work. And you can invest for retirement so that when you get older, that money is there for you. Well, there are limits on contributions depending on what kind of retirement plan you've set up for yourself. But once you hit a certain age, that limit goes up and you can make what's called catch-up contributions. You can put a little bit extra in. Y'all, there's no such thing as catch-up contributions to obeying Jesus. I had a friend in high school that told me one time, I, I asked him if he was saved. I worked with him. He said, no, I'm not. You know that? Oh, yeah. You believe what the Bible says? Oh, yeah, I go to church every Sunday. I believe in heaven. I believe in hell. I believe what Jesus did. I'm just not ready to be saved yet. Well, why? Why in the world would you make that decision? Well, I got things I want to do before I come to Jesus. I said, Do you understand how dangerous that is? You know, you might not have time. You could get hit by a semi on the way home today. You know what else could happen? Jesus could return. Y'all, I cannot stress any harder that Jesus could come back any second. That we should be looking forward to His return. Christians, that is your ultimate greatest hope. That day, I'm out of a job. And I will be happy. Not because I don't love my job, but because y'all won't need to listen to me anymore. I'll be sitting right there with you listening to Jesus myself. The Old Testament says in that day nobody's going to say to one another know the Lord, know the Lord because all shall know Him. For Christians, that's your hope. Look forward to it. Treat it as though He could come back any second. If you're here today and you're not a Christian let me tell you there's no reason Jesus could not come back and split the eastern sky and walk on this earth before this sermon is over. You don't know if you have time. Look forward to His return. Live your life as though He has set His foot out of the door of heaven and is on His way here right now. Present tense. He is coming. So look forward to His return. Second, look forward to Jesus' reward. Verse, the second half of verse 12 and 13. And Jesus says, My reward is with me to give to everyone according to His work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That the reward Jesus has with Him, He has with Him. Jesus is on His way. So if our reward is with Jesus, and Jesus is on His way, it doesn't make sense to look for our reward here now, does it? That there are great benefits for following Christ on this earth. But, y'all, Jesus did not promise as soon as you gave your life to Him that all of your earthly issues would miraculously get solved. I'm never going to preach that to you. Because what that does when somebody tells you, if you just come to Jesus, you'll get out of debt, your health problems will go away. It's like playing a country song backwards your dog will come home, you get your house back. You know, y'all ever heard that old joke? What happens when you play a country song backwards? You play a country song backwards, your, your husband or your wife loves you again, your dog comes home, and you're sober. If you play a country song backwards. You know, it, it's, it's not like when you come to Jesus, you, you play the song backwards and everything is miraculously on earth okay. No. If, if, if I told you that, then you would come to Christ and you would get home and say, I'm still sick. I'm still in debt. I still don't have a job. That pastor lied to me. I don't want to do that to you. Your reward for following Christ... Yeah, there are some benefits on earth. There's always a reward to to avoiding sin. And coming to Christ gives you the power to not sin. But your ultimate reward for following Christ is not something you receive right now. Your ultimate reward for following Christ is coming with Christ. He has it. He has your reward. He says, I'm coming quickly... And I have it. Now, y'all, salvation is not in view here. What we're talking about, this is from the New American Commentary. It says salvation is not in view here because salvation is a matter of what God has done and not what a human can do. However, once people experience the grace of God in salvation, everything else they do is counted to them as reward or else taken from them as a loss. So Jesus says, I am coming quickly. He wants you to know he's coming so that you will walk In such a way, chapter 22, verse 7, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. When a Christian knows that Jesus is coming quickly, they know that he could arrive any minute. They know that he could arrive at this very second. They're going to devote their life to obeying him, to serving him to investing everything they have in obedience to Jesus so that when Jesus comes, their reward will come with Him. You're not working for your salvation, Christian. You're working because Jesus has commanded you to and He's bringing your reward for that work with Him. Jesus is not saying you will lose your salvation. Lord knows, every single person in this room Has squandered some of the time that Jesus has given us. Haven't we? If you've given your life to Christ, there have been days, minutes, seconds, hours that you could have been doing something for Jesus that you didn't. You're not lost because of that. But I will say, we may not get rewarded for that. That reward is with Jesus. And that's why he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. That Jesus possesses primacy over everything. That whatever it is in your life that prevented you from serving him, that prevented you from obeying him, it's not bringing you a reward. Your only reward comes from whether or not you devoted your time, your talent, and your treasure to the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That there is nothing bigger or more important than Jesus. So my question to you is, knowing that Jesus could come any second and your reward is with Him, what are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your days? What are you doing with your hours? What are you doing with your family? What are you doing with your kids? What are you doing with your job? What are you doing with your work? What are you doing with your friends? Is, is there a witness for Jesus there? Is there righteousness and obedience there? Or do you have an area in your life that maybe not verbally, maybe not even mentally, but by your actions you say, Jesus, you might be the first and the last, but you're not this middle over here. This is for me. No, Christian, listen to me, Christian. Don't take that reward. Take that reward. Jesus is bringing it with Him. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Now, the word good is the, the normal Greek word for good. But this word bad, I think in Greek is pronounced phallos. Now, that doesn't mean foul, even though it sounds like the word foul. What that means I put it in my notes. Uh, It it is an inadequate, evil is an inadequate rendering of this word because it fails to bring out the particular phase of evil which is dominant in the word. Worthlessness, good for nothingness. In the classic Greek, it has meanings of slight, trivial, and paltry. In the New Testament, it appears in this latest stage and is said against good. So, the idea is when Christians stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Christ is going to look at the work that you have done, the obedience that you have rendered to Him in this life, and He's going to say, Okay, here are the spiritual gifts and and all the other gifts I gave you. What did you do with them? Did you do good things for my glory, for the growth of my kingdom? Basically, what has been my return on investment? Say, well, what investment? Jesus bought you at a price. He paid for you with His blood. What did you do with what I gave you? And if it's good, well, listen to what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is Christ Jesus. This is verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 3. I'm sorry, that's a typo on your handout. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, this is the good. That Christ gave you gifts. He gave you time, talent, treasure, spiritual gifts. And He commanded you to work because He's coming soon. If you build on that foundation, which is Christ Jesus, which is His finished work on the cross, we're not working for our salvation. We're working for a reward. Christ has done everything necessary for our salvation. In obedience, we build on that foundation with gold and uh, jewels and, and, and gold and silver and precious stones. That's the good. He's going to look at that and there, that will be rewarded. <clears throat> but wood, hay, straw, that's the bad. That's the nothingness. That if Christ gives you, you know, the gift of, I don't know, teaching, So Jesus gives you the spiritual gift of teaching. He might want you to teach a Sunday school class. But instead, you take that gift of teaching. I have no idea if anyone here does this. I say that as a disclaimer because I don't want to make it sound like I'm targeting anybody. I'm picking this at random because I don't think anybody does. If you do, I apologize. I'm not criticizing you unless, of course, you did this, in which case, let the Holy Spirit convict you. I'm not after you. Jesus may have given you the spiritual gift of teaching. He wants you to teach a Sunday school class, but instead you use that gift of teaching and you build a personal home business teaching people how to be extreme couponers. And it might be very successful because you have this amazing gift to teach. But you're not using that for Jesus. You're using that to build personal wealth for yourself and personal renown for yourself. That's wood, that's hay, that's straw. Jesus gave you a gift to serve Him, but instead of using it to serve Him, you use it to serve yourself. What are you doing with the gifts Jesus has given you? As Paul says in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 3, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. What day? The day of Jesus' return. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work has been built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. What does it mean to get saved, but as through fire? That it's like your entire house that you built burned down with all of the things you have amassed for yourself and all of the personal glories and all of your personal possessions that you used what Jesus gave you to build your own kingdom instead of building His. It's like like Paul is saying, one day when you stand before Jesus, if you've used what He's given you to build a kingdom for yourself instead of building His kingdom, then what's going to happen is this kingdom you've built for yourself is going to burn down, and you're going to be saved, but it's going to be with the clothes on your back. That you will have not... Invested for a reward when Jesus is returned. Now, y'all, your Christianity, you do understand this. Your Christianity is about more than what you don't do. Have you ever found yourself doing this? Well, what are Christians? How do Christians live? And our normal answer when somebody says how do Christians live is we start rattling off things that we don't do. You know? We have certain things that we don't do. Oh, well, well, Christians don't do this. Christians don't do that. Christians don't do this. We don't say this. We don't drink that. We don't go here. We don't associate with that. We don't support this. And we have this long list of things that we don't do. What about the things that we do? we What do we support? What do we do? What are you doing for Jesus? How are you using the gifts he's given you? Are you investing for that reward when he returns? What motivates what you do on a daily basis, your kingdom or his? Because one day, Christian, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and he's going to want to know, what did you do with what I gave you? And if you're at the judgment seat of Christ, he's not judging you for your salvation. He's judging you for your reward. Your faith is about more than what you don't do. Knowing that Jesus is coming back soon, look forward to his reward and live your life in anticipation that what Jesus has for you is better than what you can gain for yourself. So, look forward to Jesus' return. Look forward to Jesus' reward. And then finally, look forward to Jesus' justice in verses 14 and 15. Blessed are those who do His commandments that they may may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now, I'm reading out of a New King James. If your Bible says something different than that, let's be interactive. Put your hand in the air if your Bible says something different other than, uh, Blessed are those who do His commandments. Does your Bible say something different? Okay. I would guess that those of you raising your hand, you have probably an NIV, a New American Standard, maybe an ESV. And those of you who raised your hands probably have, Blessed are those who wash their robes or something similar. Yes, I see nods. Okay, this is a major textual question here. Um, To not get into the the academia of it, if you have a King James or a New King James, it's based on something called the majority text. It's not the oldest copy of the New Testament that we have, but it is the most numerous copy of the New Testament manuscript that we have. New American Standard, ESV, um, NIV to a degree, that's based on an older text that we have found since the King James was translated but there aren't as many copies of it. Uh, So the question is what was original? Here's my big 50 cent theological answer. I don't know. And I can tell you why it doesn't concern me. Now would I like to know which is original? Sure. But am I going to lose sleep over it? No I'm not. And I'll tell you why. Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. One of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and what? Washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, I only know one person whose blood can wash things white as snow. That's Jesus. Right? And I'm going to put that together with 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So having read that those who belong to Jesus are those who have washed their robes in His blood and they've come out clean. And knowing that those who know Jesus keep His commandments... Does it make a difference what the original text in verse 14 is? If they've washed their robes, they're going to keep His commandments. And if there are people that keep His commandments, they're the people who've washed their robes. It's the same group of people. So if you really want to... Y'all, I'm a nerd. I love being a nerd. I love reading and doing nerdy things. That's fine. That's fine. If you want to be a nerd with me and we can sit down and we can talk Greek manuscripts and when we found them and where we found them, I would love to do that with you. I just want to bring that up so that when somebody goes, well, you don't know where your Bible came from. Yes, you do. There's no reason you have to worry about this. it it, It means the exact same thing, whichever one. And so John says, Blessed are those who do His commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city, but outside... Okay, so we have two groups of people here. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters whoever loves and practices a lie. On one hand, there are those who know Jesus and therefore keep His commandments. These are given access to the tree of life and we haven't seen this in the Bible since the Garden of Eden, by the way. And citizenship in the heavenly city. On the other hand, there are those who are exposed as impure. Dogs, which to this day is a Middle Eastern insult. And will be called a dog. You know, they would have lost their mind yesterday in Athens when everybody was saying, go dogs. And they're like, yes, please go away. Dogs are bad. I think dogs are good, but not like this. Dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, those who love and practice, lying. I'm going to wade into this water carefully and slowly. There has been, this has been quite a tumultuous week in the United States of America, hasn't it? It's been quite the week. And the issue has been over the concepts of innocent guilt, innocence, guilt, and justice. Not, and when I say justice, I don't mean in terms of the position. I mean in terms of justice, as in doing right. The, the, the hubbub has been over what is innocence, what is guilt, and what is justice. And the frustration of all open-minded, well-meaning parties involved is that accusations can be made with no way on this side of eternity to know with 100% certainty who is guilty, who is innocent, and what justice looks like when you can't definitively tell. On the one hand, if an accuser is telling the truth but can't find any evidence to support their claims, is justice served by letting the accused go free? On the other hand, if the accuser is not telling the truth, but there is no evidence to prove the lie, is justice served by the liar receiving no consequences? I'm saying let's be open-minded and well-meaning and charitable in how we look at this. And admit at the end of it that we are frustrated because we want justice. We as Christians, we ought to want justice. Justice in every situation. That God is just. Therefore, we want justice. But, are we God? No. And so guess what? We don't have complete knowledge. And we probably never will. But that doesn't mean that we don't desire Justice. Why do we desire justice? Because we're made in the image of God. Even when we're unjust, we have this innate desire in us for justice to be done. It frustrates us when because we're unjust, we're unable to dispense justice which so when so much of someone's life hangs in the balance. Let me encourage you with this, that there is coming a day when one will come and dispense perfect justice. That one day Jesus is going to come and there are not going to be any questions about whether or not someone is guilty or whether or not someone is innocent. There are not going to be any questions about whether or not He has enough information to make an appropriate decision. Jesus is the perfect judge. And there will not be any complaints. There will not be any confusion. There will not be any wondering. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 says this, and we'll, we'll close out with this. I attempted to handle that situation with kid gloves because of how explosive it is. Because this last week, we've spent all week asking the question, who did it? Who's telling the truth? Well, let me point you to Scripture and make a 100% certain point that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 11 is important. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, that there is a day coming when the eastern sky will split and Jesus will set His foot on this earth and justice will at last be done. That the guilty will be declared guilty and the justified will be forever ultimately cleared. Which side do you want to be on? This is interesting because you can choose. You can choose. Right now, today, on October seventh, two 2018, at shortly before 12 o'clock, I know, I was watching. You can choose whether or not on the day Jesus comes, you want to be declared guilty or justified. And the way you can do that is by washing your robes in the blood of the land. That's how you can do that. You can come to Jesus right now and confess I am a sinner. I cannot please you. I have not pleased you. I have not obeyed you, and I need to be forgiven, and you've done enough for me. That Jesus stands ready and willing to accept you right now, and you can know today that if he comes back, anytime time after you give your life to him, he will be looking for you with open arms, excited to see you. But if you don't know and you reject him, you leave here knowing he can return at any second and you will not be ready. So which side do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the side of Christ? Or do you want to be on the side that is condemned at his return? That's guilty. And Sandy and Miss Joyce are going to lead us in a couple verses of an invitation hymn. And I want to give you that opportunity to come to Christ right now. That if you say, you know what, that list, sucks for some of you, man, that was, that, that includes me. Come to Christ. Be forgiven. You can come down here and you can talk to me right now. You can fill out the guest card on the side of your voice or you can catch me at the back door before we leave. I'm going to pray. If you need to come, you come. Father, thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you for the blessing of your word that tells us that you're coming, that tells us that we can look forward to it, that tells us to live our life right now as though you've already got one foot out the door of heaven and you're on your way. Lord, I pray that you would live as those who robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and therefore you keep your commandments. Help us as Christians live and work with what you've given us in order to prepare for your return. So that when you find you, when you come here, you will find us working and waiting for you. Lord, for those who are not ready here today, you know who they are, even if I don't, that you warn that those who love and practice a lie will be excluded from your heavenly city. Lord, if there's anyone here today who is masquerading as a Christian, practicing a lie, Lord, I pray you convict them and save them right now so that they will be ready when you return. Father, we love you. We ask that you glorify yourself in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.